Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. You're just looking at me. Mm-hmm. You look disappointed. Do I look disappointed? Yeah. I don't mean to have a, that. You had a disappointment. I was going for face. very neutral. Oh. I, just, thought that, I thought that was intentional. No, I want to be open to whatever you got for me. I don't know what sort of um, uh, uh, challenging new information about the coronavirus I'm going to be asked to process today. And so I just want to be a blank canvas on which mm -hmm. you can paint your masterpiece. No, I I thought maybe you saw the first line of my outline, my first order of business before I get into. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Before we start recording, Sydney said, uh, I said, how do you want to lead into this episode? She said, well, first I have to apologize to Sweden. So, Sydney... And the first line of my outline says, first apologize to Sweden. Just, I wasn't going to forget, but I like to. Yeah. So what do you want to apologize for? I like to for, have so? everything in there. Uh, I, I, first of all, I'm thrilled that we have so many listeners from Sweden. Thank you, all of you, for listening to our show. Every, every few hours in the McElroy household for the past week, I, I just hear this <laughs> refrain from somewhere in the house. It's another email from Sweden. <laughs> either either we have a huge listener base in Sweden or Got another one from Sweden. Or our small listener base from Sweden is very vocal. Extremely vocal. Either way, last week on the show, uh, I made the comment that Sweden was not practicing social distancing. Which I, I will clarify was not just based on the ridiculous video that we were talking about. It was based on multiple other American news outlets that I had I had read uh, while I was researching this this episode. However, as our Swedish listeners have informed me, Sweden is not uh, they are not mandated by their government. They're not enforcing social distancing, but they are indeed practicing social distancing. Because the government suggested it and they are doing so. So while in the U.S. it was a, you know, federally mandated and then locally mandated at state level and county level and city level, various levels of government mandated different types of social distancing. In Sweden, it was uh, recommendations and then I think on like private individual, private businesses, their decisions to do these things. But the uh, Swedish people are indeed practicing social distancing as they have made it very clear to me so and I, mean, I apologize some, for insinuating some, otherwise. I mean, some of them are. Well, what I would say is that I I admire and 
I am envious of a country where you have so much faith in your leaders that they will recommend that you do something and people will actually do it. Whereas I don't know what that's like now. Yeah, it must be nice. I did know what that was like at some point in my past, but not now. But I I apologize for insinuating that you were not practicing social distancing in Sweden. I realize you are. It is just not government mandated. And I hope that uh, you will all uh, be well and farewell throughout this difficult time. And, and, and my, as is my hope for all of the world. And lay down your arms and stop emailing us. <laughs> Please don't be mad at me. Someday when it is safe and we're all vaccinated and no one will give each other any infectious diseases, we will come to Sweden and make amends. Yeah, I will somehow. come bearing gifts of pepperoni rolls. That's our local yeah. delicacy. Straight from West Virginia to you. But, Sydney, we're not going to talk about Sweden this week. Is that correct? I'm no, I'm not going to talk about Sweden anymore. And I'm not going to talk about... Uh, covid this week because okay. i i need a break okay Got uh, it. i think you all need a break too what i did want to talk about was cabin fever and i know that sounds related because i think we may all be experiencing a little bit of cabin fever would you say that's true yes yes in the, uh, yes. In the colloquial sense yes i didn't know that was a non-colloquial sense i just assumed mm-hmm. it was like spring fever you know what i mean where you're just like whoo it was so wild. I think spring fever is very different from cabin fever. No, I just think it's another fake fever. It's like ah, spring okay. fever is like, oh my gosh, the temperature is changing. My hormones. I, I'm 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that what it's like to be 20? That's what spring fever is like when you're 20. Mm. You and I were very different at 20. Um, I guess. Yeah, I was kind of. A, I guess I was kind of the local bad boy, kind of a wild man. <laughs> now that you say it, yeah, I guess I never really thought about it that way, but that's, that's I guess not, that's true. That's not true. I knew you at twenty. Cabin fever, in the sense that we are all experiencing it, or many of us probably are. I will discuss briefly at the end of the show because there's some helpful tips out there that are very serious and not at all jokes that I think could be. I know were helpful for me to read, uh, but I wanted as I was researching. I, because I looked into this. I was like, well, is cabin fever, first of all, it's not a diagnosis in that sense. It's just kind of like, like you said, just a thing we call something. I don't like being stuck in the house. I have cabin fever. Mm-hmm. But cabin fever did used to refer to something else before people started being locked in cabins. <laughs> uh, and that was typhus. So I wanted to take a diversion from our current infectious disease to talk about a an infectious disease that is largely historical these days, although it still occurs, it is is largely a historical disease. Typhus. Do you know much about typhus? The literally is it related to typhoid Mary? Nope. Okay, then no, I don't know anything about typhus. It's, well, actually, I do. I know that it was the disease that um, was uh, that originally cabin fever. Was, oh, that is what you based on. That is what you know now. It is the an adaptation of the uh, novel Cabin Fever is an adaptation of the novel Typhus by Sapphire. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. but I, you know, it's funny that you say that. I was that is part of my problem when it comes to Typhus. I start, I always start getting things confused because one is we'll get into there are several different kinds of Typhus, and two. It, it sounds like typhoid. Yeah, confusing. And not only am I confused as a modern day medical professional, but 
all throughout history, the two would get like kind of overlapped. And, we're, you know, there are times where we have like historical descriptions of something. And the question is, was it typhus or was it typhoid? Because there are some similarities, although some distinct differences. It, it's hard to, to tell throughout history. And they're not related. No. Great. They're not related. That's a bad I, job from y'all, I, if I may say, if I'm going to be so bold. Uh, the uh, the name typhus the, and typhoid, that, that term, that root, is from the Greek for smoke, which I believe was a reference to, like, the confusion that could occur. Like, the delirium, the lost in a haze, lost in a fog kind of feeling to smoke. Mm-hmm. So... That is that is where the root of this comes from, but they're very different. Uh, there are three types of typhus, and I, I want to briefly mention each one before I focus on epidemic typhus because it is the most interesting, I think, from a historical perspective. First of all, there's something called scrub typhus, which I think the most interesting bit about scrub typhus is that the uh, bacteria that causes it is called Orentia Tsutsugamushi. It's a good name. Which is a good name for a bacteria. Um, it is spread by getting bit by a chigger, which is a oh. larval mite. I just assumed it was spread by hanging out the side of your best friend's ride trying to holler at me. Mm. Is that what you thought? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you thought about scrub typhus? Yeah. So it, it occurs uh, in many different parts of the world, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, China, Japan, India, Northern Australia. Uh, but... Uh, it is not, again, it is not the one I want to focus on. I want to mention two, murine typhus, mm-hmm. or sometimes called endemic typhus. It is uh, a different bacteria called Rickettsia typhi. Typhus typhi. I always like when it pairs up that way. But don't get confused because there are other typhuses that aren't typhi. <sighs> I know, I know. Uh, and it is spread from fleas that are on animals to humans. Okay. Okay. And... I think this is an interesting bit about how does it get from the flea to the human? What would you assume? That you pet the animal and then it jumps on your hand. But then what, how does the bacteria get out of the flea and into you? It bites you. See, that's what people think. It's so much grosser than that. Oh, good. (laughs) And I want to go ahead and explain that with murine typhus because this is going to be true about the last typhus that we will focus on. So the flea will bite you because that's what fleas do. Fleas got a flea. But the uh, rickettsia typhi is not going to get from the flea to you through that bite. What's going to happen is the the reason the bite is important is that you now you've got a little abrasion, a break in the skin, right? You've got a, a wound, small wound, but a wound. Over time, that flea is going to poop. And the bacteria is in the poop. Oh, man. And it's going to get into that wound. And that is how you get infected. Are or, you telling me or it's going al- alternatively, I guess you could like crush the flea against oh. your arm and smush its body into the wound. That would work too. Are you telling me it's going to poop and the poop's going to, it's going to bite me and then the poop's going to get in the bite hole? Yes. <sighs> I could have gone my whole life. I made it 39 glorious <laughs> years without this information. <laughs> Can you imagine? We'll get into a little bit of the how people found. Can I imagine, how people Can I imagine anything else is the question, Sydney. <laughs> Can you imagine the first researcher? Because you know, the way that this worked is somebody said, well, it's transmitted from the flea. So the flea must bite you and give it to you. 
And then there was the first guy who was like, uh, excuse me, actually, actually, it it's do- way nastier. It uh, dookies <laughs> in the bite hole. So the other thing, the, the other method, I don't know if this is more appealing, less appealing to you. And this, again, this is true. This can be true of a lot of different infectious diseases. We think a lot about like the flea is on you, the poop is on you, you rub it in the wound. There you go. You got it. But imagine like these droppings are very small. And so if you like shake out like a bed sheet that's been infested or something like that, you could just like spray what the CDC likes to, I think, very cheekily call flea dirt. Flea dirt. Mm-hmm. That's a charming euphemism. Uh, so f- you could just kind of like send flea dirt sailing into the air. Don't call it dirt. Don't buy into their lies. And then it lands on your mucous membranes, like on your eyes or perhaps your <gasps> mouth that is open <sighs> at that moment. <laughs> it sucks. This type of typhus, murine typhus, it, it can occur anywhere. Especially places where humans have close contact with animals. So specifically rats. So if there are rats, there are fleas, they could have typhus and they could give it to humans if everybody's kind of smushed in together. So anywhere in the world that can happen. Uh, But the one that I want to focus the most on is epidemic typhus. And uh, that is caused by an organism called Rickettsia prouchecki. And this is, like I said, this is the one that I personally think is really interesting because we have had big outbreaks of it throughout history and it has, it used to do a lot more damage to the human race than it does now. Thank you, antibiotics uh, and hygiene. Mm -hmm. However, um, it is spread by our very own, our, our, I think this is neat. We have our very own louse. Did you know that about humans? No, Sydney, I didn't know yes. that. We have our very own louse. The human the human louse, the human uh, body louse. <laughs> Pediculus humanus corporis. That's our very own human body louse. We are the one, we are its hosts. Mm. It likes us. Mm. It, we are its favorite place to live. Mm. Uh, you have, you may well... I am not ashamed to admit I have come in contact with its very, very, very close relative, Pediculus humanus capitus. You know what the capitus refers to? No. Your head. Head lice? Head lice. It is very, very closely related to head lice. Great. Which. Another cool, just a cool thing. Well, again, a lot of us have had. There is no shame. I had it when I was younger. I have not. I was very lucky that I did not have to cut my hair was able to just treat it. The other kids kept their distance from me. I never got it. I was a recluse. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Our whole kindergarten got it. Bad boy. Well, I was a bad boy. I like to uh, I like to read <laughs> super fudge <laughs> by myself in a corner, so I didn't get a lot of the lice. Did you, did you find anything in school simultaneously more like soothing and nerve-wracking at the exact same moment than when they did the head lice checks? I'm just realizing I don't think I was checked. I may have just made it through. Did you never have a head lice check? I don't I don't know. I, if I did, it didn't make a big impression on me. Maybe I was sick that day. See, with your with your penchant for ASMR, I feel like you'd remember it because they would take, at least at my school, they would take this really long, thin, like, stick, like, dowel rod type thing mm-hmm. and, like, part your hair slowly to look through your Super hair. I don't remember ever doing that. Really? Mm-hmm. Never. 
Well, they would do that at my school. Was your school the dirty one that I heard everybody <laughs> See, talk about? That dirty is, school. That is exactly the kind of connotation that's not fair. You're right. Lice can get anybody. Lice can get anybody. We're not talking about lice. We're talking about our own private concierge louse. Well, for our which species. is lice. I mean. Oh, okay. Okay. But is it's it just, just people saying it wrong? If I've been no, saying it like wrong this whole single, time? a single louse or plural lice. Oh, you're kidding me. Did you? <laughs> wow. How did you know? <laughs> so you're mocking me now? You're mocking Sorry, me I now? Thought, I thought I made that clear. Yes, there's the body. There are body lice and there are head lice. And a lot of us have had head lice. Most of us have not had body lice. Some people have. Okay. Do you want I me, want to talk about body lice. Do you want to talk about some things that you don't know about that I do that I can maybe scoff at you about? I just, okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. I apologize. Do you apologize? I do. Okay. So I am not going to talk about pediculus humanus capitus, which is head lice. I'm going to talk about pediculus humanus corporis, which is body lice, and the bacteria that they can transmit, rickettsia prowacheki, which causes epidemic typhus. Did I make that clear? Yes. It's a lot to work, right? There's a lot of words and a lot of different levels of this. So the exposure route is the same as with the fleas that we talked about that was so gross. The louse has the bacteria in it and then it bites you and either poops and you get the poop in you or you smush it. A lot of times like people will like scratch and just kind of smash its body into the wound in it inadvertently i mean you're not trying to do that but sure. you do that and then you get it you're not you can a, also sociopath <laughs> you can also inhale it the same way or like we've talked about it can land inside your nose or your mouth or your eyes another tour yeah like, by, by all means let's <laughs> for, take another trip down memory lane well imagine like if it li it likes clothes it likes layers of clothes so like you take your jacket off and shake it or something you know anyway you can see where it could get in um, what's interesting, I think, is that in a lot of these like bug-borne diseases, they don't kill the bug. Typhus does kill the louse. Mm. Like it, it's not just a carrier. It's gonna get rid of the louse, just like it's gonna hurt the human. Just wants to bring down one of us with it. <laughs> but uh, the what it'll do is it lives in the gut, and eventually it'll cause the the gut to rupture of the louse their gut or bad. our gut their gut mm. and uh just like in humans it's bad if your gut ruptures it's bad if a louse's gut bad, ruptures. Very, pretty much any gut rupturing across the animal kingdom is a bad sign it's a bad thing and when that happens the louse will uh like the blood will seep out of the lining of the gut and everything and just kind of fill the louse like if you look if you're interested, you can Google a picture of a louse. It's very small and kind of transparent looking. And so you can see where if it filled with blood, it would turn red. Most of, I mean, like humans don't, but a lice, some, a louse does. Mm -hmm. Lice do. So anyway, it will turn red. And so the other name of this disease was occasionally red louse. Oh, because they're all full of delicious blood. Yes, because of the typhus. The symptoms of all of these typhuses, typhi, typh. Typhi? Typhi. Typhoid. <laughs> no, not typhoid. <laughs> That's something else. The symptoms are pretty similar, uh, but we focus a lot on epidemic typhus because it tends to be the worst. It tends to be the one with the most severe complications. Um, the others can, but this is this tends to be the bad one. Uh, and this is because, one, it you can have widespread outbreaks of this in crowded conditions, um, and two, the complications can be really severe. So the the symptoms that all tend to have in common are fever and chills and headache, body aches. Uh, there's a rash, 
like a red bumpy, we call maculopapular rash that you can get from this, which helped denote this from other things throughout history. Um, this is one of the ways we can look back and say, hey, they probably had typhus because of because of the rash. Um, and then you can get uh, nausea, vomiting, you can get altered mental status, meaning like confusion. And oh. then in severe cases, this can progress to seizures, jaundice, uh, inflammation of your blood vessels, of vasculitis. Uh, you can go into a coma. You you can die of epidemic typhus, and it has it has unfortunately killed many humans in some of these crowded situations throughout history. Uh, you can't get it again. Good, but it can like recur in some people. We found that some people will have it and survive it, and then months or years later have like a recurrence of it. Oh wow! And that's called Brill-Zinsser disease, and that's usually not as severe. Um, that second time around, although it can spur another outbreak because you're contagious when you have the Brill-Zinsser disease. So there have been times where that has been the reason there's been an outbreak somewhere. Um, this is all interesting, but I don't understand the connection between cabin fever and uh, this. I am going to talk about that. I, I did want to reassure you we can treat this now. Oh, okay. yes. We don't see it much these days and we can treat it with doxycycline. OK, so that's good to know. Well, that's good. And I'm going to talk about the connection between all this and crowded conditions. But first, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan um but they got like fancy stuff listen to this where are you gonna get this truffle butter filet mignon i mean seriously from 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 a, a box pre-prepared all i got two minutes i mean filet mignon that sounds delicious yeah it sounds delicious and you can give these a try and it's not just these meals we're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the 
easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, okay, so we I understand epidemic typhus as well as somewhat of my sort of base level <laughs> intelligence can, uh, but I don't understand the connection between that and cabin fever. Well, so as I kind of alluded to, the typh- typhus itself is going to be spread the best when body lice can get around easily, mm-hmm. right, from human to human. Body lice can't they can't move very far very quickly. They're very small. Uh, they can get from human to human and they will try to do that, especially if like you're really hot, not like you know, in an attractiveness sense, like sure. you have a fever. They don't like that when you have the fever and they, they'll try to find someone who's cooler. But um, if you're sexy and have a fever, forget about it. <laughs> they're way out. Uh, but they, they're, and they also like uh, clothing. They like, to hide within layers of clothing, within folds of clothing. So you can see where if you have just one person alone somewhere, that's a really hard way, like where is the louse going to go? But, and this is it's kind of interesting, this is a kind of a 180 as to the way we think of cabin fever now, right? Because a lot of cabin fever colloquially responds to, or it, it's about isolation. Yeah, whereas this is really about it's a fever that occurs because a bunch of people are stuck in a cabin together. Right. Uh, it was also known sometimes as like jailhouse fever. That makes which, that maybe clarifies it a bit better. Exactly. Anywhere, anywhere where people were crowded together for long periods of time, then you can get an outbreak of typhus because if people are close together, you can see where the the lice can move from person to person much easier. Also, if it's a cold place where people would be wearing a lot of layers of clothing Mm -hmm. and then you have to add in there like the inability to wash that clothing regularly because if you're washing your body and your clothes regularly you're not going to give the lice time to do their thing Uh, but if you are in a situation where hygiene is going to be an issue people are stuck together long periods of time they're cold they're dirty this is where you're going to get the lice gotcha um and uh and then you get an outbreak of typhus now any time throughout history that that has happened, you may have had an outbreak of typhus. And like I said, it's difficult to tell when we look into historical accounts of diseases. We, we've talked about on Sawbones a lot. So many things were just called a fever. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are lots of things that cause a fever. Uh, it, it's debatable. Some people suggested was typhus the plague of Athens. Probably not. It doesn't really fit that description, but it, it, it could have it could have been around since those days, certainly. Uh, there's some debate. There's a, an account of a disease in 1083 in Spain that was thought, is that an outbreak of typhus? But it doesn't quite fit. There's some other things that might fit better. For sure, we know that in the 1500s, Fracastoro, who was a, a doctor from Florence, described 
typhus. So we know that by then... It was a thing. Yes, it was a thing. There were outbreaks of typhus. And a lot of it has to do with like that fever with the rash kind of thing. And then you combine that with like people living close together. Because, you know, we're thinking about like jails or like wartime situations which which certainly are risks but also just places where people live really close on top of each other Mm -hmm. and where poverty is an issue because then you have that added layer of people who have to wear the same clothes a lot because they can't afford a lot of clothes and they don't have the ability to go wash their clothes easily right so poverty definitely contributes to it as well um it it there. I feel like with all these diseases, there's always the debate: like, did it come from the old world to the new world, or vice versa? Who brought it where? Um, it. I mean, anything. We have accounts from the 1500s throughout Europe, so I f- probably I feel probably our bad or Europe's Europe's bad. Mm-hmm. But it's always di- those things are always disputed. I feel like. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until the 1800s that you really start to see like typhus and typhoid really well distinguished which i think is interesting because if you read the symptoms certainly like fever is there but like with typhoid you tend to have diarrhea and with typhus you you usually don't Mm -hmm. and so i feel like that would have been a pretty obvious yeah but i mean it's hard you know we were so dumb they can both have rashes but they tend to be different rashes i don't know in retrospect it's always easy right of course right in hindsight (laughs) Well, I mean, heck, look at, like, COVID right now. Like, the spectrum of symptoms of that is all over the map, and we still are having trouble here in incredible 2020 trying to pin that down. That's true. And I, I think in the future we'll probably be able to have a pretty defined, like, case definition of what a, of what it looks like and what the less common presentations are. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was hard for us to figure out. It wasn't until... 1836, William Gerhard, while studying an outbreak in Philadelphia, um, because, again, anywhere where there were people living very close together in poverty. And if you look to like early American history, a lot of these outbreaks actually occurred among um, immigrant populations Mm. because they would like in New York or Philadelphia, they would move into a new uh, area of the city and like because of poverty be stuck kind of a lot of people living in a small space altogether um and then there was also thought that like perhaps it was coming with one person because it wasn't as frequent in that you know like was were we bringing it into the city that way Mm. um but the outbreak seemed to be kind of uh um, just focused on that one community, which again speaks to like the poverty and the the crowded conditions and all that kind of stuff. People who were living outside of it weren't exposed to that because of that. Anyway, so he was studying one of these outbreaks and uh, he noticed that in typhoid fever, which is different, that's the thing we're not talking about, there is a very specific um, inflammation and ulceration of a part of the intestine called po- the Pyers patches, which is just some... Um, lymphatic tissue that's in the ileum it doesn't matter the point is this is very typical of typhoid and all these patients that he was seeing did not have that on autopsy they they were all thought to have had typhoid but they didn't have that and so it was typhus and that was one of the ways that's not a very helpful way if you think about it since it's like a nope. post-mortem <laughs> you can't poke around up there and just be like how's it let me let me check your buyer's patches real quick but it's, it's always helpful to say like 
now we know these are two distinct entities and this is something else and this is what it looks like. And then you can start trying to pin down uh, what might cause it. And by 1909, Charles Nicole at the Pasteur Institute showed that uh, the human body louse is the way that this is transmitted. We're able to, this typhus thing that is different than typhoid, it lives in this body louse and that's how people are getting it. And then you can start to make the connection between crowded living conditions and all that kind of thing. Um, the uh, Howard Ricketts, who we've... Have we talked about Howard Ricketts? I don't, I don't, re I don't recall if so. I don't... Yeah, I don't think we have. A famous researcher did a lot, especially for um, injecting himself with things while he was studying them. Uh, but very, very smart. Found a lot of uh, things out about epidemic typhus as well as Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh he was studying the causative agent, trying to figure that out about typhus um, and actually died of typhus while working with it and trying to figure this all out in 1910. Oh, that's terrible. Um, but I mention him because he helped further that research and his name, Ricketts, the organism is named Rickettsia prowlchecki. You probably see where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until um, Enrique da Roca Lima described the actual organism um and that would have been in 1916 that we knew exactly what was causing typhus so we knew it was the louse and then this is the guy who figured out exactly what it was in the louse that was spreading the disease that was responsible for the disease um and the reason he named it as you notice his name is not in there anywhere you're right uh first of all we already covered bacteriologist howard ricketts who helped further the study of it and tragically died of typhus while investigating it. Um, uh, da Roca Lima worked with a guy named Stanislaus von Prowcheck, Prowchecki, Prowcheck, uh, who helped him do his research into this. Um, in 1914, they were both transferred to study a typhus epidemic in Constantinople and uh, the two were appointed because of World War One to fight typhus in a Russian prison camp. And uh, while they were doing so, they both got sick. Oh, wow. And Prowcheck died in 1915. So Roca got better and he continued to research typhus because of all this. And, and he named it in honor of the in, two people. In honor of been. the two men that died of typhus. Uh, so that is why it's called Rickettsia prowcheki, which I oh. think is a really nice, interesting history of the name of the disease. He didn't name it for himself, which I think is. I, I never would. I don't understand these people that <laughs> discover something terrible and they're like, it's Doug. And for the rest of the time, people have to be like, friggin' Doug. He got us again. I hate Doug. I wish there was a cure for Doug. Doug is incurable and fatal. To be fair, I think that there's a you're a little bit shielded because of scientific names. Because outside of the science community, how many people call typhus Rickettsia prowcheki as opposed to typhus? Right. That's fair. That's, yes. Okay. I got and it. so the only people who really know the name also would kind of think it was cool to have a disease named after them. It's like people who think that Bob O'Reilly is called Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> It's the Venn diagram of people who want a disease named after them and who also know no. all the scientific names yeah. of the bacteria and, and whatnot that cause the diseases. It's a perfect circle. Got it. So we're fine. 
anyway, um, so they've named it. That's good. Uh, I think that I wanted to make a brief mention. Uh, this research that was done to find this organism, I think is a, it's a fascinating way to do the research. So they knew the body louse was transmitting it uh, or they thought so. But in order to prove that, what they did is they took some some flat, small flat boxes. They were described as like about the size of a pack of cigarettes. And you would put lice in the box and then cover one side of the box with just gauze. Okay. Okay. And so the what that would allow is that the lice could like feed through the through the gauze. It was it had enough holes in it that it could, they could eat through the gauze, but they mm-hmm. couldn't get out. And so then what you would do is uh, put the, the lice box on somebody with typhus. Okay. To make sure that you could infect the lice with typhus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, once you were sure that the lice, you know, that they'd fed on the typhus patient for a while, and so you knew that they were probably infected with typhus, then you would have the lice infect some guinea pigs, and then you could cut the guinea pigs open and look for typhus. Great. Um, Great all around. Great for everybody involved. This gets even wilder when, in 1920, there was a researcher, uh, S. Burt Wolbach, who was studying a typhus outbreak in Poland, and they wanted a way to, like, continue to expand the work on typhus that had just been done by all these scientists we mentioned. And he knew about that method of, you know, the box and the gauze and the typhus and all that. And so what he thought was, if I'm going to do this experiment, I need to make sure that I have some healthy lice. Because if you don't know if the lice are already infected, you, you can't prove things anyway. So he had to get some healthy lice. So what he did was he got some some lice that he knew were healthy in North America before he traveled. <laughs> I actually got him, I think he got them in Montreal. And he put them in the box and put the gauze on them and strapped them to his own leg <laughs> and traveled with these lice on this transatlantic voyage. Oh, my God. Uh, with these lice strapped to his leg because that would keep them alive. And he didn't have typhus, so then they weren't going to get infected. So that's the that's how you keep them alive. So he kept them alive on himself. Do they gnaw on him? Do they eat him? I mean, yeah, they bit him. Yeah. God, Sydney. Like, long plane trips are bad enough, but you can't like watch Dumbo and drink enough ginger ale enough times to like forget that there's lice eating you. <laughs> what about DVTs? You supposed to get up and walk around the plane? Lice eating you? Uh, Do you want cookies or pretzels? It couldn't matter less. It was 1920. Yeah. (laughs) It would be even worse. But they had to watch the the original Dumbo. Ugh. (laughs) So uh, I just, I think that that's fascinating of a way to, I mean, it would keep them alive. You would. And you wouldn't get sick because they were healthy lice. So you would just have some lice on you. I had a professor in college who used to keep uh, toenail fungus all the time. He wouldn't treat his toenail fungus so that he could show us his toenail fungus in class. Stop it. Stop <laughs> what you're doing. Finish your podcast, Sydney. I'm so disappointed in you. Uh, so there continued to be outbreaks, as I kind of talk about, talked about, um, especially in, as we look at like World War One and any kind of prison camps, um, refugee camps, that kind of thing. 
you would find outbreaks of it. It's interesting, uh, kind of just from a historical perspective to see like there were times where it was it should have been a big problem, but it wasn't. I actually read a whole paper kind of studying like why this wasn't a huge scourge during the civil the American Civil War. Why, why? it yeah. should have been. Everybody was stuck together. There were crowded prison camps. People were, you know, dirty and, you know, definitely like living in close quarters and wearing the same clothes every day. It should have been a big problem. But outside of a couple specific possible instances, it really wasn't a, a big problem, which is weird. Um, similarly, in World War One, even though it was a huge problem on the Eastern Front, it wasn't a problem at all on the Western Front. Hmm. Why? I don't know. It's it's a really it's a really interesting question as you look at the history of typhus and humans, um, because all these people had lice. It wasn't a difference in whether or not they had lice. Like we look back and we know people were covered in body lice in all these cases. Hmm. Everybody was very licey, but they didn't get typhus. Um, I, I read some interesting theories like could it be a fabric preference? Oh, huh. like wool over cotton or something. It's never been proven or, or really looked into. And there's there's a lot of evidence that, eh, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, there was an interesting thought that um, in that study that I talked about with uh, Wolbach when he carried the lice on his leg from Montreal, he wasn't really successful in once he got those lice into the lab and mm -hmm. infected them with typhus and then tried to, you know, pass the typhus along and whatnot. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, his experiments were not nearly as successful as the ones that um, De Rocalima had done. And so there was a question like, I wonder why? Was there something with the methodology? Because he followed the same methodology. He really tried to do the same thing they did. And uh, part of the thought was, is there a difference between the Laos in different parts of the world? Are we not? Because we haven't looked. I mean, like, researchers don't think so. But have we really looked to see? Are there slight differences in the North American body Laos huh. and the European body Laos? And one is better at transmitting the rickettsia. I don't know. I don't anyway, know. there's all these there's all these interesting questions, but uh, one way or another, it seems to have fallen out as a huge problem um, for most of us these days. It is always a possibility anywhere where you are going to have humans living in crowded conditions or being kept temporarily in a crowded, dirty place where they are not able to access regular hygiene or wash their clothes or change their clothes. Um, certainly they're going to be at risk. Mm -hmm. And especially if people are already like in those crowded conditions. So they're suffering from other diseases of like malnutrition or other communicable diseases. Um, they're in like a weakened state too. So that could, that could also spread it, but anything like that, it's, it's possible. The body louse lives with us. It is our, we are its host. It is our, you know, it's our friend, it's it our, constant, our yeah. constant companion. It is our companion, our partner. Uh, there was an isolated case of this in West Virginia in 2002. All right. Uh, from it is thought a flying squirrel. That's so man. It can be transmitted by flying squirrel, squirrels. Oh. Uh, and while the man didn't come As in contact with a flying squirrel, he had just cleaned out his cabin, which was full of squirrel poop. And so perhaps when he was, as I said, like sweeping the floor, squirrel poop debris. Like as if, as if flying squirrels weren't distressing enough. Yeah. I so, could, I could catch typhus from a flying squirrel. And the fact that I saw a flying squirrel would still be the most distressing thing that happened to me that day. 
like absolutely i'd rather catch typhus than see a flying squirrel you still don't want typhus typhus is rat bodies just soaring at you with incredible grace and speed Ugh, it's the worst so typhus is still obviously bad and we would rather not get it the prevention is stuff you can imagine like there's not a vaccine but they're destroy all prevent, flying squirrels you can prevent typhus by ensuring that humans don't have to live in these um inhumane conditions or keeping them in inhumane camps or settlements or prisons or things like that yeah allowing people to have access to their own living space clean clothes regular bathing and hygiene um if you can do those things you can prevent the spread of typhus uh and if somebody gets typhus, now we have doxycycline. And you can treat it that way. And another great point about that to build on that is that the sky is the domain of the birds. And the <laughs> squirrel's presence there is an abomination. Is just to build on kind of what you were saying. Right. That has everything to do with what I was saying. I'm glad we agree. The cabin fever, the cabin fever that... <laughs> oof. The cabin fever we have, <laughs> you have, I have, maybe, uh, is really, like I said, the... Um, the, the colloquial term probably started with like the settlers on the Great Plains who would like build a cabin and then have to sit out the winter alone or just like the two of them or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, there was no TV. There were no podcasts. What did they do? Not a single luxury. Um, and, and you know, you're probably having a lot of these symptoms. You're feeling restless. Check. You're feeling sad or depressed. Yep. Lethargic. Uh-huh. You have trouble concentrating, no patience. Huh? Wait, hurry it up. <laughs> Food cravings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no motivation. Uh-huh. Um, difficulty getting up or napping all the time. You know, sleep disturbances. You're starting to feel hopeless. Uh, your weight might be changing yeah. in either direction. Uh-huh. Um, and you're having trouble coping with stress. Wow, 100%. So uh, I think a lot of us are feeling that right now. Um, and that's hard and the, you know, that, that can certainly in some people who already have maybe, um, a mental health diagnosis that can be even more difficult, even more, you know, stressful. Um, some strategies, which you probably, if you were suffering from, from any of these things, you may have already sought these out, but just in case you haven't some things that like are, are friendly neighborhood therapist or psychologist might recommend. Um, one is to have a routine, which seems obvious but it's important um sure right now it can feel like a like a weird vacation not a vacation but like there are aspects of it that seem vacationy and uh because of that you'll have a tendency to just freeform it and that's not as good for our brains so if you can have a routine that's better structure uh move about your space as much as you can i saw that much maligned article about how you should just move into your guest room right now and then it'll feel like you're at a hotel or whatever (laughs) that's everybody's got one of those right right. that's not great advice for a lot of people who don't have guest rooms uh or you know that's how somebody say i'll just i'll just sleep in the in the guest quarters for the the east wing or whatever (laughs) anyway uh so move about your space as much you can or like change things up it it might be a good time to rearrange a room redecorate a wall move the pictures around anything like that can at least you know give your give your brain something different can help like that um as much as you can stay active is good so physical activity is important you know i've been doing um these kid workout videos and yoga videos with the girls mm-hmm. that I just, that Justin actually found on YouTube. And they're just fun little workout videos that you don't have to have a lot of space to do. And if you have any way to watch a YouTube video, you can watch them. They're free. And 
Um, those can be fun things to do. Uh, mentally active, listen to music, read a listen book, to podcasts, listen to a podcast, uh, whatever, something to keep your brain active. Do a crossword puzzle. Do a puzzle. My mom's all about puzzles these days. Do a puzzle. Um, connect with people, of course. I think we've all heard that a lot. Connect with people via phone, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever, whatever your chosen mode of communication is. Um, connect with others as much as you can. And the last point I saw somebody mention and I thought was really helpful is uh, embrace discomfort. Mm. Um, right now, you're not going to feel, I think, or at least for me, I would say, as completely fulfilled <laughs> by certain activities as I did previously when I was able to go out into the world and travel and like in my job, like see patients in person and actually examine them and all those things. Uh, and that's normal. We're all feeling that. Mm -hmm. And if you, I think that um, cognitive dissonance between trying to achieve that same level of satisfaction as you had previously and what you're able to do right now mm -hmm. can be very distressing. And if you just accept that right now it's a little uncomfortable or, or a lot uncomfortable, mm -hmm. um, that can provide some relief. And then if it doesn't, seek help, you know. The, seek help ask others for help reach out talk to people don't don't be quiet about it mm -hmm. um just some things that you can do to help mitigate the symptoms of of cabin fever but that embrace discomfort really spoke to me yeah uh we hopefully we've we've helped you uh just forget about discomfort for 45 minutes or so except for i would say the parts where my wife tried to actively create more discomfort in your existence. So I am I just, sorry for that. I just that. wanted you to be thankful that you don't have typhus. That we know of. Um, you no, know, you probably don't. Uh, I I did want to address really quickly because we got, the other than all the emails from our Swedish listeners, yes. which thank you and I'm sorry, uh, we also got a lot of emails, a lot, a lot of emails requesting that we talk about pandemic, that conspiracy theory, ridiculous movie thing that I think has already been pulled from YouTube because it's spreading a bunch of lies and is dangerous to public health. Uh, I haven't, I, I just couldn't this week. Um, I will, I, I'm aware. I know it's out there. I know, I know that it is important right now to combat misinformation and the spread thereof, but I did at least want to address that. Um, you don't need to email it to us. Well, no, not that, but that I was aware that it was a problem and that it is out there and that, yes, I fully support that this is a complete load of bull crap and not something that um, should inform your opinion about current events or how you should move forward in the world of science and medicine. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to the Maximum Fun Network for having us as a part of their podcasting family. And thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, we will be with you again next week. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.